AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Tour is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. I'm your host, Brian Ray. I've been a musician for 40 years. I started as a teenager with Etta James and most recently with Paul McCartney for 19 years. On this show, we'll take you behind the scenes of the music business to give you the most raw and real tales you've likely never heard before. We'll get into the highs and lows of the touring industry, who these people were before they played on the biggest stages in the world, We'll share our wildest, most unbelievable, and yes, most embarrassing moments while on tour. In this episode, we're talking to Chuck Lavelle. Although most of you know Chuck as the master keyboard player and musical director for the Rolling Stones, you've also heard his work on albums with John Mayer, the Black Crows, and many more. Chuck and I discuss our biggest disappointments and greatest wins, 
including his years with the Allman Brothers, his genuine moments with Eric Clapton and George Harrison, voodoo magic with Dr. John, and we wrap up his musical journey with how he got a 30-year gig with the greatest rock and roll band in the world. As if his music journey wasn't remarkable enough, Chuck is also an environmentalist and was recently named National Tree Farmer of the Year. Be sure to check out the film Chuck Lavelle, The Tree Man, that includes interviews with over 80 artists with a combined 58 Grammy Awards. Here's my conversation with Chuck Lavelle. Chuck, welcome to my show. As Sidemen gigs go, you certainly have one of the most prominent and longstanding for the past 36 years as a member of and musical director for the Rolling Stones. I want to talk first about how you got here and what led you to this. Um, And uh, for me, rarely is there an overnight success in this industry. The journey is often met with mixed emotions and doubt along the way. But what started you on this path? Well, you're right, it's a journey, isn't it, uh, for all of us. Uh, you know, we're in the same boat here. Uh, your great work with, with Paul. And uh, by the way, when we get down the road a little piece, I've got to tell you a story when we were doing the desert trip a, a couple of years back. But to answer your question, uh, I learned the piano from my mom. I was the baby of the family, uh, three children, my brother 14 years my elder, my sister five years my elder and dad out working, uh, so oftentimes just me and mom in the house. She was not a professional, not a teacher or anything like that, but she played for family enjoyment, and I just loved to listen to her play, you know, and I'd tug on her skirt and say, Mama, play me something, and watching her hands move up and down that keyboard and listening to the melodies and the harmonies, it just, it was great, and I'm sure there was also the mother-son connection, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, she would get me up on the stool, and show me very simple things, you know, simple triads and a melody here and there. And sometimes she'd go uh, about her housework and, to, and leave me up there to my own resources. And she'd say, well, Chuck, I got to go work, but you just pl- make something up, play whatever comes to your mind. And I'll be listening, you know, uh, I'll be checking you out. And so this went on for a period of a couple of years. And one of the things she did for me Brian, it was so helpful that I still think a lot about today. And she would say things, well, and of course, you got to appreciate I'm six, seven years old, you know, but she'd say, well, Chuck, uh, what would it sound like if there was a big storm outside? Oh, I'd rumble down on the low end of the keyboard and do some lightning strikes up on high, you know. (laughs) Right. Or what would it, what do you think it might sound like if you hit a home run in your baseball team or what what might it sound like if you were got mad at your best friend or something? So music has always been that, uh, not so much notes and chords as as it is feelings, emotions, and painting pictures. Wow, what a, what a wonderful <laughs> tutelage, you yeah. know, to get that, especially in the family, uh, and to learn that music is an expression of emotion yeah. more than yeah. it is a technical uh, event how fortunate for you. My, my first memories were uh, my mother playing classical music as a little kid, and she nice. played it all the time when I was a little kid, and I picked up on that, and later, like you did, I had a relative who was a folk rocker who yeah. turned me on to music at a very young age, and my earliest memories were uh, 
playing of playing piano, it was my first instrument, was that I just wanted the teacher to teach me boogie woogie. <laughs> I didn't want to learn this little cute stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm six years old and say, of course, my hands were big enough to play boogie woogie, but that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> I know that you're from the South and you moved around quite a bit in um, Alabama. As a kid growing up with the desire to be a musician, as it seems like you were heading that way, what was that like among your peers? Did they accept that or did they think that this was a silly pipe dream or what was that like for you? It was good for me. Our first band was called the Misfits and we played the YMCA every Friday night. We had a steady gig and, you know, we were young. We were, I guess, uh, 14, 15 years old. And so it was cool to have a band. And uh, because we did the YMCA a gig, the kids would come and they would dance on Friday night, you know, and it was steady. We did it for a, probably a whole year. And when the first uh, television station came to Tuscaloosa, uh, where we were living at the time, uh, they wanted to emulate American Bandstand, so they cleverly called the show Tuscaloosa Bandstand. <laughs> and they hired us to be the, the band. There was a local DJ named Tiger Jack Garrett that was the MC for the show. And he was pretty well known DJ on radio. And so we put that together Friday night at the Y, Saturday morning uh, on the television show. And it became an enterprise for us at a very young age. So, uh, you know, and it was work too, as you well know, once you had that band and you had to learn these songs to be fresh every Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, you know, you listen to the radio all week. Mom would let us move the furniture around and we would rehearse in our living room. And uh, so it was work. It was fun work. Uh, and it was an enterprise from that early age. And did you have the feeling that you had to be the best band in town to keep that gig and learn new songs yes, every sir. week? Yes, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there was yeah. pressure there because yeah. there was a band that was older than us called the Gents. And they were really good, too. Mm. They had, you know, their musicianship was tight. Mm. And we admired them, but we were also like, oh, we got to get that good, you know. We, we, we got we to gotta make sure we can, you know, be comfortable on the same stage with those guys. Isn't that interesting? It, it, it is work. And a lot of people think that music is just fun. <laughs> it is that. We're lucky, but it takes work. You know, I, I remember Paul once saying that, they just wanted to be the best band in Liverpool yeah. so they could get out and travel around the world. <laughs> exactly. And it's such yeah. a simple thing, but it seems like that's the same that was driving you and the Misfits and up against the Gents. Absolutely, but also the same, uh, you know, with the Stones. They wanted, I think their first goal was to be the best blues band in London and then in England, and then, you know, then they started writing songs and everything changed. But mm -hmm. uh, those early goals, it's so important. Yeah. I'm sure you had the same experience as oh, a young musician. You know, it's uh, you, you want to learn. Uh, you look for opportunities to learn and look for opportunities to play with better musicians. You know, once the Misfits broke up, that was my goal. Was who were the cool players in town? Yeah. And how can I get up with those guys? And, yeah. and, uh, and that's what I think both of our careers have centered around ever since then, right? Absolutely. And I'm sure, like most of us, you realize that music can be an uncertain path. It seems to me you can't have a long and storied career such as yours without hearing no, when yes would have felt so much better. <laughs> what was the biggest or most impactful no you ever received? 
Oh, man. I guess my biggest disappointment was that I got to audition for James Taylor uh, at a certain point in time. And, man, you know, I wanted that gig really bad. Uh, he's such a wonderful artist and a great, great guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and it came down to, I think, me and another guy. And, you know, the other guy got it. And James was so gracious. You know, he called up and he said, man, this is a tough decision. Thank you so much for coming out. You know, really appreciate it. And, and you know, he lied and said, you did well <laughs> because I didn't do well, man. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe I was nervous. I usually don't get nervous in those situations. But uh, I did not really perform that well at that audition. So I didn't really deserve the gig, to be honest with you. But, of, of course, it was a, a big disappointment to hear, you know, we're going with someone else. Yeah, about how old were you when that happened? You know, I would have been, that's a good question, um, probably 27, somewhere in mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And have you run into him since? Now is the musical director for the greatest <laughs> rock and roll band on earth? <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, but I still have a great admiration for him and all the guys that, that work with him. He's had some beautiful, beautiful players through the years in his uh, yeah. bands and on his records. Yeah, my disappointing no story was that I auditioned for Tina Turner. Oh, really? Right around the private dancer time. Oh, man. And I had like teased out blonde, of course, hair <laughs> and big old shoulder pads. I look like MTV. What do you want? It was 1986. Been, right? What yeah, do you want? There you go, yeah. Anyway, I walk in there and plug in and it's going okay. I'm not feeling a ton of, you know, synergy going on yet. Mm -hmm. The other guitar player, James, was very nice. But right in front of me sitting, and Tina was not there. It was just the band. Okay. Right in front of me on a couch was that big sort of shiny guy with the long hair that played saxophone. It was a muscle guy. Do you remember that guy that was in the yeah, videos? Yeah, yeah, And I couldn't be more opposite that guy. <laughs> and I just remember him looking at me and going, like looking kind of up from down <laughs> like that. And I, I could tell this wasn't going well. <laughs> this might not work. You're that right. might not work. But hey, man, you gotta you gotta get through some no's to uh, get to the yes, That's don't right. you? Yeah. That's right. I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last twenty five years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Let's talk about your experience with the bands before you got into the Rolling Stones. Sure. Well, it was just one thing leads to another, Brian, and I'm sure that's happened with you in your career as well. But from sundown, uh, that connection got me to Alex Taylor. Uh, Alex had done a couple of records on Capricorn, and we became uh, uh, his touring band as well as doing his second album. Mm. Uh, that led to a lot of session work. Uh, Bonnie Bramlett, um, Oh my goodness, uh, uh, Tim Weisberg. Uh, uh, Johnny Sandlin was a producer that favored me and we became very good friends. And Johnny would use me on a lot of the records that he was producing. Mm -hmm. And eventually, it was Greg Allman's first solo album, Laid Back. Uh, and Dwayne had died, you know the history there. Tragic motorcycle accident in 1971. And the band had some obligations. They had to go out as a five-piece without a replacement. And uh, anyway, you don't replace Dwayne Allman, period. So, But that put so much pressure, as I'm sure you can, you can appreciate, on Dickie Betts, because Dickie was not the slide player that Dwayne was. But he had to step up to the plate, and he did. But the band came off this little short run after Dwayne's death as a five-piece band, physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, and they took a break, and Greg wanted to do this solo record, and that's when I got to call. That led to jam sessions after hours as we were recording. Uh, and so all the Allman Brothers would come down, even though we had a different set of musicians recording Greg's record. And so uh, it was pretty much pick a key and go, you know, and anything can happen. And things started happening, uh, and they had no design to go get a keyboard player in the Allman Brothers band, but by osmosis, that's what happened. And so after these jam sessions, about three weeks or so, I get a call uh, from the 
manager of the band that also owned the label, Phil Walden. Phil would like to see you in your office. I thought, oh, what have I done wrong? Yeah, yeah here it comes. And I go in there, and there's all the guys in the band. Uh, some pleasantries go down. The shoe drops. The guys feel like this is an interesting direction. Would you like to join the Allman Brothers Band? I was barely 20, so we know the answer to the question. That was yes, a big, please. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. When do I start? <clears throat> exactly. Amazing. Sound like, uh, it sounds like you had already started. With the jams, there was a new direction coming. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, you know, Capricorn had a lot of interaction between the artists anyway. Uh, Marshall Tucker Band was on Capricorn, Allman Brothers Band. Dickie did a solo record that I uh, worked on during those years. Um, and of course, Greg's laid back record. And then the first record I did with uh, the Almonds was Brothers and Sisters. And that had Ramblin' Man and Jessica and Come and Go Blues and those songs on that record. Huge album, <clears throat> huge album. All your work had paid off right then. That's amazing. Well, tell me if you have any uh, great stories uh, of your time working with Dr. John. What was oh, that man. like? Well, it was such a trip, uh, and God rest his soul. You know, Mac Rebenack, as you know, was, it was his real name. Yeah. And uh, all right, so here's a story for you. As we were auditioning, because what had happened was I was working with Alex Taylor with, with a set of musicians. Alex had a falling out with the manager, decided not to tour anymore. We were a band without an artist, and Phil had just signed Dr. John to a management contract. So he said uh, he had finished recording uh, In the Right Place LP and was going to go out and tour and needed a band. So Phil said, why don't you guys audition for, for Mac? Okay, so we go. And uh, the first couple of days did not go so well. Uh, we were trying to get that New Orleans feel that Mac was looking for. And Mac would say, man, you cats, y'all ain't got that second line thing. Man, y'all got to do some studying and get, get right, you know. <laughs> and so we would. We listened to records. And this goes on for about three days. And I really wanted this gig. I really wanted this gig, right? right. So I thought, well, I got to go spend a little FaceTime with him, you know. So I go. He was staying at the Holiday Inn. I go knock on the door. And, oh, little Chucky, oh, man, come on. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, come on in here. Now, you have to appreciate, Mac at the time was on the methadone program. I've heard about that. And he was also, unbeknownst to us, he was copping on the streets still, see. And so I didn't know anything about that, right, with, Ooh, with Mac. Double dipping. Yeah, exactly. So we're together in his hotel room. And he's really, you know, very gracious, and we talk a little bit. And then he says, hey, Chucky, I just lay here cool, man. I'll be back in, in just a little short. And he goes to the bathroom, and he's gone for like half an hour. <laughs> okay, so we know what, what's uh -oh. up. And I'm, you know, I'm looking around, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And, and so curiosity gets the best of me, and I look over at the table, and there's, there's a book, like a journal kind of looking thing. And, you know, I'm looking at the bathroom door and I'm, I'm looking around and nobody's in there. And so I, I couldn't help myself. I flipped the cover of the book and a page or two. And then I see all of the names of us, of the band members. And by our names were these weird voodoo symbols. And what was going on, I have no idea. But there was some spirit happening, you know, some spirits floating around. And the bottom line is we got the gig, and uh, we had a great little run. I learned so much from Mac. You know, he was really 
nice to me. And when I joined the Allman Brothers, Mac was opening up some of those shows. And so Mac stayed around. This was one of my first shows with the Allman Brothers. Uh, he had opened up. Afterwards, uh, he said, oh, Chucky, you got to come to my room, man. Let's hang out a little bit. Go to his room. And so we talk, and he's very generous and, and giving me some nice compliments. And the night is about to end. And I said, well, Mac, God, I love you so much, man. Thank you. Thanks for staying and, you know, watching me. And thanks for all you've taught me. And I just love you so much. And, you know, I hope our paths will keep crossing. And he said, well, wait a minute. Before you go, man, let me get you a little something. He goes over to the corner of his room and he gets an envelope and he's got his back to me and he's putting some things in the envelope and he seals it up. And he comes over to me and he said, Chucky, here's some very special things in here. Now, you don't even need to even look at it, man. I mean, you don't, I don't want you to ever let nobody see what it is. But you try to keep it around you as much as you can. And I think it might bring you some good luck. And I still have that. I put it in a leather bag, and there's just some very special, very special juju in that leather bag. And I tell you what, I I don't know whether it's due to that or not, but I've I've had a nice career that I'm very grateful for. So thank you, Mac. Wow, that's a great story. Wow, Mac, thank you. It sounds like him working out that little uh, notebook journal with all of your names and the symbols by it was his way of sort of bringing you guys to his comfort zone. To his world, yeah. yeah. You thought, oh, oh no, he's got voodoo on us. <laughs> but know. instead you got the gig. But it was good voodoo. Oh, That's isn't that thing. something else? I mean, I know you've done, uh, uh, you did a huge record with John Mayer, Born and Raised, which is a number one album. But I'd love to also ask you about, uh, similarly, do you have any stories about your time with Eric Clapton? Well, um, First of all, Eric was a special guest on the Steel Wheels tour in 1989. Right, that's right. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for me, they set him up physically right next to me on stage. And we were doing a Little Red Rooster, you know, great blues song. Mm -hmm. And we had a nice musical conversation back and forth, you know. And I mean, he's Eric Clapton, isn't he? And so the tour ends and I go home. And this is back before the digital days. And I had a cassette answering machine. And there's... Eric's voice on it saying, this is Eric Clapton calling from Hong Kong for Chuck Lavelle to see if he might be interested in doing some shows at the Royal Albert Hall. Yes, I would. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's another big yes. So, um, you know, we we go over there and this was the 24 Nights record, the live record that that he did, 24 Nights at the Albert Hall, uh, divided by six different sets. You know, he had a quartet, which I was not a part of. That was Greg Fillingaines and Steve Ferroni and uh, and Nathan East. But then there were six nights of a regular, I think it was a seven-piece band that I was a part of, six nights with blues that I was a part of, and six nights of orchestra that I was a part of. So that was the first experience with, with Eric. Uh, then this horrible tragedy happens with his son. Ooh, you know, right. um, because he was going to take a year off after that, and spend time with Connor, his son. And it was a matter of uh, weeks, maybe a month after the 24 Nights thing that uh, Connor had the terrible accident, falling out of the building in New York City and was, was killed. Uh, and so the manager called me up and he said, you know, we're not going to take a year off. Eric needs to work. He needs to try to get his mind off this tragedy and, and just continue to work. 
Uh, so the next thing that happened was the, the tour with George Harrison. And you know the relationship that George and Eric had, very famous relationship. And uh, <clears throat> Eric pretty much challenged George to tour. You know, he said, uh, hey, man, you never get in the trenches with the rest of us. You do a record about every five years or so, but you hadn't been touring, you know. Come on, come on. And he said, but I don't have a band. I don't have a band. And uh, Eric says, well, I got a band. You can have it, and you can have me. So we did this incredible tour of Japan, the last tour that George did, uh, with Eric Clapton and the same band. I was there. Yeah, were you really? Tokyo Dome. Oh, man. Like 94 or something? Yeah, like uh, uh, 93 maybe. Yeah. Okay, right in there, yeah. Oh, you were there. I was up in the nosebleeds. No I was kidding. there doing a gig with Rita Coolidge. Oh, fantastic. And uh, somehow got tickets to come and see that. And I was so excited, so exciting. Well, you know, what a great honor. I mean, George was oh, the sweetest cat in the world. Yeah. Uh, um, you probably met him along the way. and. Uh, but he really was so down to earth. And, uh, you know, going back to what you and I were talking about earlier about the Beatles and them just uh, wanting to be the best band in London or, or in England or whatever it was. George just wanted to be in the band. You know, that was his whole thing is he never really wanted to be the front guy. But of course, when he did All Things Must Pass, all that changed. He made a place for himself as a front man because it was such a great record and mm. his songs were so beautiful. Yeah. So we finished the tour with George. We had encouraged him and really wanted to bring it to America. But for whatever reason, uh, I, don't, I don't think George liked touring that much, to be honest with you. But so he said he didn't want to do it. Eric said, well, I'm going to continue. And uh, of course, Greg Fillingaines was in the band uh, so we had two keyboard players on uh, the 24 Nights thing and on the Harrison tour. And Greg uh, decides he didn't want to tour that much anymore. He wanted to come back to L.A., be on records, produce records. And so he resigned, uh, you know, and it was a, a very uh, congenial uh, situation. You know, there was no, nobody was upset about it. He just needed a change. So Eric comes to me and he says, uh, so Greg's resigning we're going to do this unplugged thing and I'm going to continue to tour. Um, do you think we need another keyboard player or would you like to have it all to yourself? And I said, well, if it's all the same to you, man, I wouldn't mind having it on my own for a while. Good answer. <laughs> I love that. So um, the next thing we did was the unplugged record. And I was kind of like a coiled up spring because, you know, God bless Greg. He's one of my best friends in the world and he's such an amazing player. And I've learned so much from him. But he uh, had most of the solos before this time. And so it was like, wow, I get to do the solos. So we, uh, we do the unplugged thing, and, and it goes very, very well. And during the rehearsal segment, um, we tried out a lot of songs. And one of that we tried out was uh, Old Love, you know, that beautiful ballad. And uh, for whatever reasons, Eric decided he didn't think it should be in the show. Maybe one slow song too many or something. I don't know. But we do the whole set, and it goes really great. We've played everything. The crowd is still asking for more. Now, I don't know why he turned to me, but he kind of leaned over my way and said, you got any ideas, man? Is there anything else we could do? I said, do old love, Eric, do old love. And we did, and, and uh, you know, I think it turned out to be one of the best uh, songs on the record. Isn't that incredible? And and tell me, when you're not on tour, I know that you've been doing uh, your gig on the side, 
the side of being a sideman is <laughs> um, is tree farming, yes. and I'd love to hear more about that. Well, uh, people ask me how in the world did a rock and roll piano player get involved in tree farming of all things, and it's all my wife's fault, of course. When we were first dating and decided to get married, and she said, you have to come meet my family. And she had not really told me anything about her family at that time. Turns out that they were all farmers for generation as cattle farmers, row crop farmers, uh, forestry, all of the above. And as I got to know the family, I began to realize this deep-seated passion, love, respect for the land that they had as stewards of the land. Well, in 1981, her uh, grandmother passes away and leaves Rose Lane about a thousand acres of land. And that responsibility fell on our shoulders. Very important family land. We knew we wanted to keep it, didn't want to sell it. Not sure what to do with it, right? One day we're at the breakfast table and Rose Lane's brother said, you know, there's this 50 acre field down here. We usually plant in corn or cotton or soybeans every year. If you're not gonna plant a crop, you might consider planting trees there. And light bulb sort of went off in my head and I started forestry, you know, yeah, I could go out and tour. You, you can look after the land, you can plant the trees and manage them, uh, but not have to be there all the time to make it make sense. So there was another connection, and I know you'll appreciate this. As a musician, where does that thing that's given us so much joy and a great career come from? It comes from wood. And so many other things I, I like to point out to people, well, you know, it gives us materials to make our books and magazines and newspapers and packaging projects, uh, materials to build our homes and schools and churches. Um, it, it sequesters carbon. It filters our water. Uh, it provides home and shelter to all manner of wildlife. And it's, in my opinion, the most important natural resource that we have, that it gives us all these things. And so I began to uh, study forestry. And when I was touring with the fabulous Thunderbirds for about a year, uh, I took a correspondence course doing the work in, in the back of the bus or in the hotel rooms whenever I could. It took about a year to get through the course and I began to feel fairly confident about uh, managing our own forest land. And fortunately through the years, we've been able to add to that uh, acreage. Now we have about 4,000 acres. And um, it's just become as equally a passion for me as music is. That's so beautiful. Plus, I mean, the planet is in need of obviously more forestation, especially with the fires going on. Just a mind blower. So good on you for offering uh, some more oxygen and some more photosynthesis to the planet. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So let's move on really quickly to the Stones here. When, when was your very first exposure to the Rolling Stones? How did that develop and land you in this gig of a lifetime that you find yourself in? Well, uh, most all of us remember the late, great Bill Graham. And when I was in the Allman Brothers band, um, Bill loved that band. And I think when I came in, he looked at it somewhat skeptically, what's a piano player doing in a guitar band? But I won him over. We became friends. Uh, after the brothers broke up in 76 and we formed Sea level he was kind enough to promote a lot of shows for Sea level through the years. Then there was a gap when I didn't hear from him, and he became tour director in 1981 for the Stones, mm. which was kind of a new position altogether. He, mm. was, he was running the whole shebang. And uh, he, they, they wanted to try some different guys out on keyboard. And he suggested me, God bless your soul. Thank you, Bill. So out of the blue, I get a call. And, and here's the story. So this is also right when Roseland had inherited her land. And um, I was, sea level had broken up. I had a little trio. The phone wasn't ringing for sessions. Uh, I was a little concerned about the musical career. I go home one day. I say, Roseland, you know, I'm never going to quit music. I'm always going to do it. But you know, the phone's not ringing. I've got this little podunk trio not doing much. And 
maybe I should just focus on this. And she listened very patiently and she said, well, that's interesting, but guess what? The Rolling Stones called you today. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Absolutely true, man. So she, I said, don't pull my chain now. She said, no, I'm serious. Here's the number. Go, there's the telephone, go call. I did. And later that day, I got a call from uh, a woman that was, you know, working with the band. And I said, well, listen, I don't know if it's true or not, but if they're looking for me, here I am. Ian Stewart, the next day, called me. Stu was, of course, a confidant of the band and also a great piano player and had been with them since the beginning. Mm. And um, I actually had a little club date with my trio that weekend. And I said, man, yeah, I want to come up. Can I come up on Monday? I got a little gig this weekend. He said, we'd really like to have you there tomorrow. So I had to call the club and say, listen, forgive me, but this is important. I'll they tell were, you why later. Yeah, they, they were cool with it. And I was on a plane. Uh, they had just put out uh, Tattoo You. So I did a cram course on that. But Brian, and I'm sure if, if you'd have had to call, you would have felt the same way. It was like, wait a minute. I know all these songs. I played them when I was 14, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I kind of relaxed and said, well, I, I learned the new stuff. But gosh, I know just about every other Rolling Stones song there is. You yeah, know, and I, it's not Beethoven. No, it's that's not right. fusion. It's the Rolling Stones. And like you say, we've been living and breathing it since we were kids. So exactly. So it that, should what a great story. It's funny, you know, that you say Bill Graham, when he became tour director, it was at that time that I got a job opening for the Stones at that same time. Really? When uh, Ian Stewart and Ian McLagan were both like, he's yes. right before you came in. That's right. From 78 till 81. Exactly. Uh, some girls through emotional rescue, That's opening exactly. a bunch of shows for the Stones with Eddie James. How about uh, that? Unforgettable wow. period of my life. And I thought at that time, you know, if this is it, you know, now that was, tw- I was 24. Wow. If that's as good as it gets, I'm, I'm, cool. I'm good. <laughs> I'm out. Like a dealer at, the, at this blackjack table, you know, claps his hands together and walks away. Oh, but uh, I, it continued to get good, you know, yeah. not without its scary years here and there. But we've had those. And so, Chuck, you've released uh, six solo albums, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, including a brand new thrilling big band album, which I checked out this morning. I highly recommend to all of you listeners out there. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I had done a tour of Germany with a five-piece band. It was, you know, with me as the artist. And a couple of these guys worked with the HR1 big band. Now, HR1 in Germany is very much like public radio is to the U.S. It's a little different, but similarities. And they maintain two uh, bands year-round. One is a full orchestra and one is this big band that they now call the Frankfurt Radio Big Band. So after I did this five-piece tour and a couple of these guys being connected to the big band, I had an invitation to come back and play with the big band, do a concert. So I sent a dozen MP3s over, and they had three different arrangers do these arrangements uh, for these songs. Uh, The charts were just brilliant, the voicings, the harmonies, uh, the dynamics, wonderful dynamics. uh, Great arrangements. Really really interesting. Kind of out stuff going on, a little bit more harmonically out than you would expect on a big band record. Yes. And then your your lead singing and your great piano playing. It was really thrilling to listen to that. Well, thank you. And, And briefly what we did was we did the live concert, and that's what the record is. 
But when we uh, opened up the files and listened, the isolation was so great. And I said to the engineer, uh, my friend Jerry Hansen, I said, Jerry, let's see if we can take the audience out of this thing. And we did. Really? And because I wanted it to be focused more on the music and not the distraction of applause and, and other sounds. Sure. And to make it uh, a tighter presentation. So that's what we did. And so it's, it is actually a live record, but, you know, with, without the distraction. I'm blown away because it sounds like a studio album. It sounds like as a lot of big band records were cut in a room with yes. real people playing together. And so the brightest horns are placed in the back of the room because they're the loudest. Yes. And the sax is up yes. close, the drums in the back. Right. It has that feel to it, but I had no idea there was a mm. live audience that you somehow obscured in your recording. It's really great, really, really cool. Chuck, it's been said that tragedy plus time equals humor. Tell us, uh, what is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on stage? Oh, Lord, I, I don't even want to tell this one. Come on, you got you to gotta <laughs> say it. All right. I'm usually pretty good at focusing and, and you know, have a decent memory and, and keep myself together generally. I'm on stage with Eric. Uh, this is at the point where I've got the keyboard duties all to myself, and we're touring behind the unplugged record. It's going great. I can't tell you what city it was. I don't want to remember. We come to Layla, and we come to the refrain at the ending, my mind completely blanked. I didn't know where, what key. Fantastic. What, I'm looking out at 30,000 people waiting for me to play that part. And I don't know what I played, but it was very wrong. Oh. <laughs> That's it so was great. extremely wrong. And, you know, afterwards, oh, my God, I was so embarrassed. And I went straight up to Eric and I said, Eric, I'm sorry about the jazz bit and Layla. And he was so gracious. He said, what are you talking about, man? And, you know, he was like ignoring the fact that it happened and it happened in such a big way, I can't tell you. Oh. Did you go to the front of house, man, and say, what do I need to pay you to make sure there are no recordings of this anywhere? <laughs> yes, please. I hope like there's no recordings. 15 minutes of tape oh, missing from, God. from Nixon's Watergate tape. Yeah. Can you just delete that part? <laughs> <laughs> but how did you get through it? Like, once you played the jazz, I mean, what did you do after that? I mean, I'm sure you turned white as a ghost and then probably as red as a beat. What did you do for the rest well, of the, the show? Well, the band saved the day. The band comes in playing the, the proper... You go, oh, that's right. how it goes. Oh, yeah, that's it. And yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about inspiration. People look up to people like you and, and I who have... Uh, been working so hard for such a long time. Is there one piece of advice you'd give to an artist who would like to be in your position one day? You'd probably give the same answer, and that is there's no magic wand. There's no magic wand, man. It's, um, it's up to you to learn your instrument, to get proficient at it, to continue to grow as a musician, uh, to listen. It's so important to listen whether you're doing a recording session or you're on stage with your brothers and sisters making music. Um, my dad <clears throat> loved old sayings, and one of, one of the things was, you make your own luck. What does that mean? Well, I think in large part it means learning how to be in the right place at the right time, you know, keep your eyes and ears open for opportunities. Mm -hmm. I used to go stand outside the door of Muscle Shoals Sound uh, I, I knew one of the engineers, and it was a very small studio, and 
I couldn't go in while they were recording, but I could stay outside and when they had a break, go inside and hope that I could meet somebody and uh, sit down and play a little bit and try to get noticed. So, you know, looking for those opportunities is what I would think you would say is making your own luck. Mm, that's brilliant. I love that. So finally, Chuck, this has been so great to talk to and catch up on all things Chuck. Um, is there any music that you've been checking out lately that you're fond of that you would like to tell people about? St. Paul and the Broken Bones. Love them. Aren't they amazing? Yeah. They're friends with the guitar player and his wife and their brilliant young kid. Yes. And uh, Al, the uh, organ player, the Hammond player, is brilliant. Yeah. And Paul, the singer, oh my God, you know, they're yeah. just such a great band. Such a great, I saw them open for you in Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's really on fire. Yeah. Well, before we put it to bed, uh, I want to share a Paul McCartney story with you. Okay, great. Because uh, I don't know Paul that well, but when we were doing the desert trip, which was what, two years ago, I guess, we were all staying here at the Four Seasons. And I kept running into Paul in the gym, you know, and, and it was, uh, there weren't too many people in there. So, you know, I had the, uh, a moment, I said, well, I gotta go. I had met him once. Wicks had introduced me at a party one time uh, here again at the Four Seasons. Well, anyway, I go up to him just to say, hey, man, I'm a fan. I love you, you know, and uh, I know the guys in the band. You've got a brilliant band. Love all the cats, and uh, I'm looking forward to this desert trip thing. It's going to be fun, and uh, I'm the keyboard player with the Stones, and he says, well, that's a good gig, isn't it? <laughs> I said, that's not bad, not bad. I said, uh, are you looking forward to the thing? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm coming to see your show. I said, well, that's fantastic. So we worked up um, uh, uh, Come Together as a little tip to, uh, to the Beatles and performed it. And Paul was in a suite watching the, the show. And for some reason, this is the only time they've done this, the production had an overhead camera on top of me. So, you know, you could see my moves from one keyboard to the other, and it was featured a few times, which is kind of fun. So the gig ends, and uh, we find ourselves in the gym again, you know. And by the way, I, I told him about working with George, and we had a nice conversation about George. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is after our show. We bump into each other, and I said, well, Paul, I hope you enjoyed our... Oh, it was great, man. Really loved it. Uh, and I said, well, we enjoyed doing Come Together. Oh, brilliant, man, brilliant. It was really sweet of you cats to do that. And he said, and I really dug the overhead cameras on you. I could see all your mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> he likes a good crack. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. You know, you get to this point and people like Paul and I would assume Mick and Keith just want to have a good laugh. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to get the work done, but yeah. it's got to be fun for them. Absolutely. They've been doing it for so long. They've yeah. already given so much. They just want it to be fun. Yes. Uh, we're lucky guys in that way. And, and don't we love great one-liners, you know? I mean, Keith's brilliant at it, and, and, uh, but, but Paul, such a great artist, and I'm, you've had that seat for a long time. You do such a brilliant job, and all the guys in the band, so congratulations. Uh, thank you so much, Chuck. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. It's, it's been, been a blast, man. What a pleasure. Been a joy for me. Thank you, bro. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and thank you to my friend Chuck Lavelle for giving us a peek into his gig of a lifetime. In addition to being the keyboard player and musical director for the Rolling Stones, Chuck is also an environmentalist and published author. 
check out his store on his website, chucklavelle.com. On Tour is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. This show is produced by Mandy Wimmer with executive producer Noel Brown, and I'm your host, Brian Ray. For more information about On Tour, visit our website, blackbarrelmedia.com. For behind-the-scenes photos from these interviews and to interact with us, visit our social media at On Tour Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more shows from iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.